As queen of the carpool, cruise control is the only control you've had for a long time. Instead of kicking back, your back is constantly being kicked. With the endless traffic, walnut-sized bladders, and snack mom politics, nobody is more eager to know the answer to the constant chorus of, Are we there yet? Sounds like it's time for your victory lap in Las Vegas. You can bring your kids to Vegas, but why would you? Plan your escape at visitlasvegas.com. I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Ten Fro is Beating for the Wild Ride. And thank you for listening. does it become apparent that you're begging you have to stop begging people to do their job when does it become apparent that when marketing is not work you have to try something new I guess that's where I am now and I'm tired of people I'm paying people for a service that they're not giving me it took me a while to get to having the, one of the dopest editors on the planet. Matt, shout out to Trinity Brown and what she does for my podcast. I'm forever grateful to her. I am so annoyed that I had to go through a frog to get to a queen that gets it. And she's all about, she is a, a phenomenal sound engineer, but a lot of these editors and marketing specialists that say they're specifically for podcasts, they really aren't. And as creators, we have to be careful who you hit your wagon to, who you waste your money to. I'm pressing on as a indie podcaster with a hope of having this podcast pay for itself, I can only put out the best content that I know how to create. And I want it to get in the hands of people that are willing to do their job to let it get to as many listeners that are touched and that are just as influenced and encouraged uh, and see me as their muse, their audible muse. That's all I want to do. I want to be able to do what I like to do 
create great content and get paid for it. And if you're not doing a service that will allow me to do that, that is a problem. So to all of the haters out there, I don't know. I don't got nothing for you. All I know is in the year that I've been pressing on and getting ideas and being allowed to create, um, I've come up with some really dope content, but I'm not willing to put good money after bad, wasting my time on not doing what it, or keep continue doing, because that's insanity. Continue doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not paying off, that's insanity. And that's how I feel at this time. So to all the other media companies out there and individuals that want to jack me for the little bit of money that I do have to put towards the creative genius that is my podcast, take many seats. The, the, the door is closed. The ATM has run out of money and go away. I'm tired, but I'm still going to continue to put out the content that encourage and that, um, encourages people and that people will like to hear. So bye. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading tin So in this week's episode of Tim Fro was reading, I've decided to do a breakdown of probably the best sci-fi writer in the world, um, Octavia Butler. She's been likened to, in the reviews anyway, she's been likened to um, the sci-fi version of Toni Morrison. Um, she's in the category of her own. And I can't do her works justice by just thinking I'm going to get through one of her books in one week. I don't think that's possible. So I went and I bought Lilith's Brood for the express purpose of getting through or going through each and doing a deeper dive into, into her um her creative genius as well as you know her view on humanity and how we can in fact heal ourselves so the plot for Lilith's Brood and I had to go back to find out when it was published it looks like the compilation was published either within the year or not too long after she passed away back in 2008. And it took me a minute to realize that she had passed away then, but the things that you encounter in the book are still decades from being implemented. We were just on the cuffs of precision medicine, the real work as far as cancer research 
um, hadn't really started and the breakthroughs, even the tools, the analytical tools um, weren't even available at that time to full, that science fully understand um, genetic modifications, et cetera. They, we'd been doing, I don't, I need to look up when exactly we started uh, doing real GMO work um, because, let's see, it became a campaign against it um, and all of these people that were afraid of something that they really didn't understand. It's like science had outpaced our reality. GMOs, which means genetically modified uh, foods. First introduced, um, 1994. So GMOs have been known in the plant world uh, for um, since the mid nineties um, with the flavor saver tomato. And it basically was modified to slow its ripening process, um, delaying, softening and rotting, um, which makes sense if you want um, to have a longer shelf life. And this is all for all of those cash crops and to keep it on the store shelf for longer. Some people like food purists like myself, as I sit in front of my own um, lettuce grow, where I'm actually gonna have a salad um, made of those things that I actually grew myself. Um, and we got these real food deserts, etc. We wanna keep the price of food down. Um, GMOs have a lot of reasons why um, they were created, but at the same time, it still has not um, solved food, um, what we could call very much our food crisis. There are people still um, going hungry, going to bed hungry, that are still not able to fully participate in a renaissance of people, um, a lot of, and it's still, it, they're priced out of the food revolution. You know, there was a time when people grew what they needed to in gardens, um, not having to worry about, not really having to worry about, um, they followed food by the seasons. Tomatoes were only available certain times of year. Why do we have to have tomatoes all times of year? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, certain green leafy vegetables would be traded out, um, but it was still fresh because you knew where it came from. It came from your backyard. You shouldn't have, there's certain things that have a cyclic nature that really you shouldn't always have access to. And I think things like lettuce grow um, are going to allow us to get back to being 
you know, being on or being more in tune with the cyclic, cyclic, na um, cyclic nature of life. And because when you can understand it and, and get used to it because you're basically more in tune, that's when you can actually go forward and you can't go back. That's one of the things that I wanted to basically, as I took a deeper dive. And Lilith's brood was an ex example of understanding cycles of, of humanity and what is it gonna take or giving us a glimpse into how we can actually heal. Basically, we encounter an extraterrestrial building, the OK, uh, the Owen Kali, uh, that basically they are their ship and their ship is them. They basically encounter humanity as they, it seems like we had just unleashed nuclear, had undergone nuclear war. We were intelligent enough to create these weapons, but that's what, and it, the weapons actually destroyed us because there's a dichotomy in human or a contradiction, she said. We're very intelligent and we could use our intelligence for good, but there's a hierarchical naval that basically handicaps us. We couldn't see beyond the nuclear, the potential for a bomb. And it was much nuclear fission and those types of things were much more than that. So they encounter us when we were the, on the, the edge of extinction. They basically rescue Lilith, uh, the main heroine, whose main responsibility is to fulfill, uh, number one, she's like the Eve, if you can say it, of humanity. She basically is going to be the mother for a new kind of humanity. They saved her 250 years after the nuclear war, clean up Earth, let it, um, let it uh, heal itself before we introduce humanity back into it. Kind of like an inveritable um, Garden of Eden. Hmm. It's kind of dope when you think about it. And the religious undertones um, associated with this perception. However, she could not understand, and what the, all the Okinali basically wanted was an exchange of genetic material. So not only could they continue to become more than you can imagine, but also uh, because they don't reproduce and they wanted, it's so wild, they only wanted um, some good, they wanted the best of us um, so it can actually improve their lot and so they can go on. And it just seems like Lilith was a bit of a punk because <laughs> she didn't want to have that responsibility. Um, and she also wanted, she could not understand that destroying everything from before could give them, would be, it would allow them to get more or gain more. It was really difficult for her to operate on something so different than what she had been used to. But the, her new way of thinking, she would have to actually have a new way of thinking in order to be, uh, to be able to uh, process and go beyond what she, what she limited herself to be. That was the whole point. How can humanity 
go beyond itself. You can't do it always looking back, but you can take something, be in the present, take the best from the present, and then proceed. Because that's the only way you can fully heal. Learning from mistakes and then, and then starting out anew, but not getting so caught in the past and not getting and playing the blame game and not fully thinking you're going to recreate the the past that's going to be your future and if that and that it is all going to be okay there's always going to be some conflict when you got to you're basically going to rebirth onto something greater there's going to be a big backlash and it seems like you're going to stagnate, but there are always going to be a couple of few that are going to demand that you go beyond. And that's the first part of this, the, the purpose of the first part. She had to sleep. She had to heal. They did some corrective editing to her genetic code. And then she had the responsibility for leading others into a better understanding of what into the future, but they could not, but it, looking back to the past and trying to recreate the past is what's going to hold them up from progressing. But I have a feeling in the second installment that she'll get a little bit further. It's going to be like pulling teeth, but she'll, they'll be able to get a little bit further. The resiliency of humanity is on lock in this book, even though it's still very depressing. 250 years down the road, it's going to take us to get away from a potential nuclear war. If that doesn't scare you into basically um, finding, repurposing the, the, those weapons, I don't know what will. As the fourth season of Frank on the Front rages on, things are about to get controversial. Join me on Podbean every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, where I'll be hosting a weekly call-in show in which callers are allowed to air their grouse on a wide range of current affairs and social issues. From existentialism to human sociology to conspiracy theories, I ask the tough questions and explore a different rabbit hole each week. The edited version of each live recording will be released as a podcast episode later that week on Sunday. Available wherever you get your podcasts. So that's Frank on the Front Live, an audio file for audiophiles. Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, exclusively on Podbean. One love. At Fogogichon, everything you see is yours for the tasting. All the exotic fruits and fresh salads from the market table. All the perfectly sliced picanha and tender lamb chops, fire-roasted and seasoned with rock salt. And every buttery slice of filet mignon, so unbelievably tender, you'll wonder, is it on your fork or in your dreams? Have it all for one price with the full churrasco. Make a reservation at fogo.com. My conversation with Simone Johnson-Smith was it I had the appearance of being meandering and we spoke for an extensive period of time on a number of subjects what I did gather from it is her entire essence in her podcast is relating 
the not just experience of uh, immigrants, but the positiveness in the experience. There's a lot of trauma that some of her guests have related, but she not only wanted to recognize and that trauma, but it was just powerful enough for me to want to also focus on not only should you recognize the trauma, you should also recognize in healing um, as we continue to go forward. That's why relating the stories and the experience of an immigrant is so important to her. And I also and her and I value her her experience and her references because I think it's a part of how we all can move forward and how the healing can begin. And it's just so wild that I started talking about Octavia Butler um, in this segment and how the ills of humanity can be healed through not just through genetic modification, but recognizing and how humanity can go forward. And we discuss that in some detail as far as admixtures and 23andMe and the importance of knowing your roots are for us in this country to be able to continue to go forth in a positive manner. So here is part two of my discussion with Simone Johnson Smith and why assimilation is not the answer, but reconciliation with our past and how we can forward, go forward in this thing called life. And also talking about what it means to be a part of the African diaspora and what the importance of recognizing the African diaspora and what others are doing to uh, contribute to recognize it and building upon it. So here is Simone Johnson Smith in Assimilation is Not the Answer. I was just reading, reading something um, in the New York Times um, from this past Sunday about um, the last of the um, indigenous or American Native Americans that were forcibly, he was Navajo, but he yes. was actually adopted by a white family um, in, I think it was it New Jersey or somewhere like that. And there was a systematic in the, the 20th century that was trying to forcefully assimilate and, you know, um, Native American children off the reservation. And then there was a concerted mm. effort to basically have to stop that practice because it was supported by the U.S. government. And so they had to stop that process. Um, and a lot of um, children are now being returned back to the re different reservations. Um, oh, so this is so, like like now happening like where people now. are still being returned. Um, yes, or learning by between genetics um, and a lot of other um, um, experiences, um, other people that like this particular social worker that is making connections with kids that were forcibly adopted out um, during the 50s because this practice oh. was still in, didn't stop until like the 60s and 70s. So oh, I see that. And instead of now, a lot of some of the culture could have died or could have been obliterated. But what, again, that is what makes us, that is the American experience. Basically, it's fine. You can be Navajo and still be American. You could be a Navajo American and you mm -hmm. don't have to give up any of that. And the, the reservation is a part of your history. Um, also knowing the history where they basically, some of you were 
forcibly adopted out. That all of that is a part of it. And you got to be able to tell those stories and should be allowed to tell those stories. But I say all yes, of that today yes. is the experience of us all based on where we were originally from is more than just the color of our skin because there's so many different layers. Um, for example, where are you, where it, you, you're an immigrant from where, I'm sorry. From Jamaica, from Jamaica. From Jamaica, your experience. And then prior to your, your family's roots um, in Jamaica, do you, have you gone back any further than that? I have done my ancestry, my dad's, my mom's. Fortunately, mm -hmm. my grandmother, my paternal grandmother passed in 2020 at the age of 93, and I didn't get to do hers. I had her on the list. And then my maternal passed uh, in 2009, I think. And I, you know, this was before my mind was even there, considering doing, going deeper. So my dad, based on you know, we're all kind of mixed up as people, you know, everybody like to say they're the pure race or whatever, but we're all mixed up, right? And particularly when you have forced migration, such as slavery that took place, that's largely in the Caribbean. And then you have like the plantation class, um, plantation ownership. So that's basically my family. My dad's side of family is primarily from, um, the UK, I'm still digging deeper. I, every time I go back, there's a little piece that goes deeper into like the communities where my grandma's family are from. And then my mom's side, I realize now uh, her DNA is showing me primarily from Nigeria. Wow. And um, I'm interested in doing the African ancestry part of it to see how correct it is because I did, I did ancestry. And then I did 23andMe for my mom. So I did Ancestry for my dad and 23andMe for my mom. Just to compare the two, because uh, 23andMe gives you like a, a medical history as well. And because my mom was ill at the time, I wanted to see what they could find. Unfortunately, they didn't impress me. But, um, you know, but at least I, could, I see that their, you know, majority of her DNA is pointing to Nigeria. And then for my dad... Um, that side of family, it's, um, I want to say Scotland, but there's a lot of kind of mixing up in there as well. So, um, so, you know, when people say that, okay, want, if you have one drop of blood that makes you African, right. Or that makes you, as they like to put it, uh, black, I don't like these color definitions because it really doesn't say it erases completely who you are, your identity. And interestingly, even if a child is adopted, they go to so much lens to figure out their roots because that's part of their identity and who they are. And, and so this whole idea of trying to have people forget who they are I don't understand the point of it. It must, it must be something that has to do with capitalism of, uh, as a way of controlling people. That That's probably part of the conversation. However, we need to know who we are as a people. And going back to our roots is an important part of that. Exactly. And, I, um, I would um, encourage you to do the admixture on 23andMe. Um, that's how I found out because, uh, especially with African-Americans or Black people here in the United States, a lot of uh, like my genealogy, I did it also, um, but it stopped at a farm outside of North Carolina. Um, and I think I went back uh, maybe two or three generations, but after 
before like 19, 1875, it basically there, I don't, there is no reference. I don't have any further reference than that. On your record, any record, right. yeah. Exactly. Except for, I didn't even find anything on the slave roles, but I have not done much research beyond that. What I have found is that when I did the admixture, I'm, I am, my family has roots or the genetic markers take us to like, um, like Senegal and Ghana, the Ghana, like West Africa. So I do have that, but to having to put a, a name to a face to that kind of lineage, I, it basically stopped at a Williams farm, which was a plantation in North Carolina. Right. So, well, that's amazing that you can find some of those records and Exactly. I just love what Henry Louis Gates does. Um, that, on... that, that finding your roots—that's my favorite show. And I was oh actually, my gosh. between that and Antiques Roadshow, I have both <laughs> of those saved under PBS under because I have that. I subscribe to that. <laughs> I love both of those shows. Love it, but I love specifically what he does because the level of research that they do—I mean, it goes down to such a granular level as to like the tribe. And bringing these people to meet the people from exactly where the communities that they come from is amazing. And um, I'm trying to hopefully, I, I, I'm wondering if the African ancestry does some go to that level of depth. But then you're you're now giving me another suggestion with 23 and Me to get more details because... And you um, can. And once you click on it and it is amazing and you feel even a more you have more connection because you feel like, okay, it ended here, but it really didn't end there because with the, what they do with that admixture, you actually end up having, you end up discovering even more of a connection to Africa and, or the motherland. And you end up having a lot of genetic relatives that you didn't even know you had. Right, right, right. No, no, it's amazing. I, I'm on the path of trying to figure that out. Uh, sometimes life, life gets busy and these things get put on the side as, you know, I'll get to that when I have more time. But um, it's so important uh, for us to find our roots and who we are and embrace that um, because I'm concerned particularly about our young people, whether it be first-generation children of immigrants who are here and the information that they're being given in our educational system, this whole Part of my conversation in an interview I had with an educator yesterday was how important it is to teach culture to our children because, um, you know, they get lost. I mean, her students were falling asleep in class because they weren't connecting to what they were being taught. And as soon as she started implementing this whole idea of their, she had students in her class who thought that all Latinos come from Mexico. Look at how massive Latin America is and the Caribbean and the Spanish-speaking world is. And they thought all Spanish-speaking people come from Mexico. They didn't even know that there were Afro um, people in the African diaspora who spoke, uh, who speak Spanish, right? Who are right. in the, all across Latin America, throughout the Caribbean. Um, the and, shades, the shades of pe persons of color um, in the Caribbean. How, ex like for example, like how um, someone from Cuba or even from Mexico at this point looked like me with my hair with afros, but they speak Spanish. Um, but they live in Mexico or Cuba or you know or um, the, the Dominican, the, or Dominican Republic. Republic. No, yeah, exactly. They have no idea. 
or they could be which is amazing from brazil you exactly have no idea. but because they it's not being taught you see and so she's on a mission now to really educate children and she actually does trips where she's taking every summer she takes her students back to certain parts of latin america she's doing a europe trip this year but last year she went to like indigenous african communities in latin america to really show and highlight the african where, diaspora throughout the she, americas where is she located is she is she in florida or somewhere like she's that? in hawaii she's she's, she's actually married to she's afro panamanian married mm-hmm. to an african american male who was in the military that's how they met they've lived in hawaii now for a number of years and she's an educator he's retired military and is in is and got went into teaching um but she does that too but it, i mean this I, this idea of you know this is all new to me so when you come from outside the us everything that's going on here is always a i've been here for 23 years and i'm still learning The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. I'm sitting here watching the most ratchet TV of the century. Have y'all ever watched Bell Collective? This is the black producer version of any of the real housewives on white ass bravo okay and the reason why i am going to continue to watch this ratchet dumpster fire is because number one carlos king is a fool i like his voice gets high and he's so extra but these women are compelling and I'm just watching this fool with a pimp suit and a ball spot and two corn rows in his head. Look us dead in his face and want us to admire his fashion sense. I'm confused. You, I guess every massive black Southern family has to have a pimp adjacent uncle because this is who this fool is has to be a part of the family but this is just ratchet enough to be funny i am also interested in the bell collective because i realized when it came on a couple of years ago it was fascinating because these women and these church lady hats from jackson mississippi were um, uh, collaborating uh, to get more um, information about their business. I also was compelled. There's many black incubators or uh, think tanks as well as um, databases which feature black podcast hosts and I'm just one of the many voices out there. And I'm hoping with my collaboration with the collect with a similar collective online that my show will get known, not as far reaching as the Bell Collective is in Jackson. The other thing about Jackson is their water system almost collapsed 
under the racist disregard and negligence of that system. A lot of these women don't even live in Jackson. They live outside of Jackson and they're not as affected because I'm sure they have well water as well as septic systems. So they're not dependent on the city of Jackson as far as clean drinking water. They talk about the thousands of pallets of water that they have to ship in to the capital city of Jack of Mississippi. And the only reason why it's so neglected is because they got a black mayor and 90% of the population is black. I think that's stupid. And it's still limping along. They basically said that it's going to take about a billion dollars to upgrade and fix the water system in Jackson, which it seems like, I don't know, is it worse than Flint? Probably so. Um, but the people of Jackson are still excelling. And if this show is any indication, it's hysterical. But as I watch this show, I find it compelling that what makes these re the reunion and would make me watch this show interesting is how these women were already connected and were friends off camera. And I'm watching, I'm almost through the reunion, but I'm gonna have to go back to episode nine because one of the main characters, she looks like she's a triple G. Uh, Marie enlists her friends to find her mom. And when you got people like the dude with the pimp suit and the bald spot and the cornrows, um, all these women got prom adjacent dresses. You got women like Yo Gucci and Aikisha, Maisha, and them. You know this is going to be some ratchet mess and it's going to make for great TV watching. And I'm so here for it. But it also sets you up to not only look for the history of the city and why it why why wouldn't it have been chosen? Because you can't write make these people up. They are a caricature or representation of themselves, but they're real people. And because they look like me, they're only several a couple of uh, uh, degrees of separation from me. I find it fascinating, and it, and it also looks. The genuine, how can reality TV be less ingenuous? I've, I've said that. I kind of vacillate back and forth. And, but you can tell the most interesting storylines or the most interesting unexpected uh, interactions are what compels people to invest in the show. When you try to come up with contrived BS like they did on Real Housewives of Potomac or like the Melissa and what, I don't remember, um, Teresa Gudice's, now she married Homeboy. But when you try to make your storyline um, based on drama from one specific person, it feels contrived and the fans get over it really quickly. That's why the only reason why I find Vanderpump rules, I wasn't invested in them skinny white people, white Gen Xers. I really wasn't. What I was compelled was, is the interaction with all of the guests with each other. And it seemed to be the friendly 
um, interaction and the truly hurt. And they weren't that different from a lot of other kids their age. A lot of these people were, except for, what's his name, Tom Sandoval, are less than 30 years old. And, but they still have real life problems and it wasn't so much, and they actually have substance abuse issues. They got mental health issues and it just made their, and how they interacted with these issues with their friends and realistic um, interactions with their families. They didn't have to contrive or produce or make up a storyline or expand a lot. That's why I think so many of us were, the only reason why we gave, or most of us like myself, gave Jizzy some grace is when she basically related her experience of having a hysterectomy and then having where they clipped her bladder and she actually had to stay in overnight and they had to probably upgrade her status because she had, it appeared to be a vaginal um, hysterectomy because of fibroids Everybody, black women in particular, in the Real Housewives series, all seem to have done battle with fibroids. She had realistic complications from that and her, but she didn't really relate it until the reunion. By then, we were all, we, I, was bought, I was buying into the story, but I'm like, the fuck you didn't actually put this online? But y'all were so busy making up and expanding a storyline by that Muppet and Chris Bassett that y'all could have showed that and that would have probably got even more ratings and, any, and more people on your side. Instead of people saying, your ass need to be fired because you and Robin covered up the real storyline and put it behind the paywall when they were paying you to basically represent your life. Y'all basically, it was fine that you seem to be closer and you like Dizzy Mia more than you like Wendy Acefo, but you use, she still attacked Wendy and that's the same reason why you seem to run um, Monique Samuels off the show because you were probably jealous and she was too beautiful to be on that show. Y'all couldn't stand her. And if she could have figured out a way to go into intensive therapy and work out just as hard and kiss y'all ass just as much as Portia did to get back into the group and work and then get invited to the wedding still, y'all could have figured that out. But that was when she left in season five, was the last time the show seemed to be real because that was the last time where, except for Jizzy and, and Boring Robin, that was really the last time it felt that you guys actually had friendships and relationships outside of the show. And that's when it became, it was like pulling teeth and y'all had to make up uh, a provocative and insightful storyline to try to get airtime but all it did was make the show less believable. I mean, we have to do a suspension of belief in when you watch these reality TV shows, but y'all went, y'all were doing the most with that shit. And I think that is the issue with Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, they have to find some way to get back to why we want to tune in. Why, why 
there, the, the issues with the old lady gang couldn't make that shit up. Um, y'all didn't know. It wasn't like people were doing the most just to get airtime. It was like real, it was like the realistic relationships and some of the trauma that ended up being dramatic without, without being contrived. That's why people tune in to reality TV because life, um, they say life imitates art. But some of this unrealistic stuff on reality TV, it's actually y'all real life. And it just mind, is mind blowing. No, I don't need to see somebody um, committing uh, adultery because I had to turn off OC when homegirl, who's not even di uh, divorced from her husband Simon yet, this was years ago, she's in the tub with her new uh, cougar man. But I digress. The issues that I think th that we're far from the heyday of Real Housewife. I'm rewatching the time. Oh, y'all remember the time when Portia dragged Kenya? Or y'all remember the time when Portia dragged her assistant? Or y'all remember the time that Portia rolled up on Cynthia and Cynthia kicked her? Um, and then we saw the demise of Cynthia's uh, uh, marriage that was the most um, was probably bought apart because they couldn't reconcile one thing after another. They got over the money issues and then there was a lot of lies about Peter's uh, alleged infidelity that ended up not being true, but they couldn't survive the lack of trust on both ends. That to me was sad. When the story, when they all were there and the original OG cast member, even when Nene Leakes was just a friend of the show and she wasn't always there, but I liked the presence of her when she was with um, Greg before he got really sick and then passed away, when all of the brothers were actually, even with Apollo being on the scene um, with uh, Peter as Patricia, <laughs> he, kept, he was always in some mess with the ladies. Um, that was dope. Um, what I'm finding now hard to reconcile my feelings and my annoyance is Marlo basically being super thirsty now that she has a peach and this Courtney bitch. I don't understand her role and I don't think Drew Sedora should have a peach. I'm all for bringing back the OGs, the original OGs. Like Cynthia needs to probably come back. If Cynthia comes back, and they're, now they're rumored that, what's her name? Oh, Duckface. Now that she's divorcing Croy. Zosiak, Kim Zosiak may come back. That's going to be some BS. And watching, because she may need to check, because evidently they owe the IRNS a million bones a pop. They're probably going to have to sell that house to pay everybody off before they get foreclosed on and kicked out. Actually, they need to talk to Sheree how you live through all that crap. And if she's going to need to go to Gamblers Anonymous, like that girl on um, Mom, um, the blonde who basically gave up the show and she hadn't been in anything since. I can't even remember her name. But that show is where she got her beginnings. And if she's going to really support herself and get the attention she needs to basically rebuild her brand, she is going to need a check.
And if they are offering, she needs to take it. But I don't think there's going to be space for people like Marlo because she's too thirsty. There's not going to be any space for the Drusador of it all because she's too boring and it's contrived. She needs to go. But that's just me. In my opinion. From one ratchet, unreality TV show, Vanderpump Rules, to something out of Atlanta that I don't think anybody realized that Love and Hip Hop Atlanta was going to run like 11 seasons. It started in New York, and then not too long after the Atlanta premiere, came Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. Then we saw Love and Hip Hop Miami. Hollywood was hysterical because Ray J is stupid. But I just think that the influence of the show and Trick Daddy from Miami said it well. When they concentrated on the music, I mean, Miami... When it was on, it was the best when they show place Trina and even her cousin, who I don't think was all that talented. He needed to stick to makeup and DJing. But that's what came from that episode. It's just like Love and Hip Hop. Excuse me. Real Housewives of Atlanta, all the iterations when it was real, it was real when it dealt with music and when it dealt with um, non-contrived uh, storylines. And when people weren't doing the most just to get airtime. And I'm sitting here watching it and I'm thinking, how old is Mimi Faust? I know she's had some work. She looks younger now than she did when it premiered. She looked good then, but she looks even better now. And I'm also looking, what is the, you know, expiration date on baby hair? Because I'm looking at this other girl, Hollywood. I don't understand. If you got a wig on why you need baby hair, what is that? Is that an, I don't think that's an Atlanta thing. Is that a lace front thing, an edge thing that I don't know about? I'm glad I don't have to worry about my edges since I have a fro, but this is some crazy shit. But anyways, 
this particular show is the stars of all the iterations of love and hip hop looking back on the first season of love and hip hop Atlanta. And if you can't twerk to the intro or the, uh, outro music, what kind of show is it? I mean, we got trick daddy. Trina was on here. Even Cardi B was a part of love and hip hop New York. So twerking is a must. Also, it, them talking about seeing themselves on screen is hilarious. I need a whole love and hip hop Atlanta and Miami dictionary to watch this because it is so funny because half the time it's like watching the bell collective. I don't know what these people are saying. Like tricks. Sometimes I don't know what he's saying. We got like some one-liners in here that I had to write down because I can't make this stuff up. Okay, Michelle. She was like, oh, she's shaking the table when Car- when she ran up on Carly Red, who Carly Red was getting ready to toss her. And little Scrappy and Mama D, that relationship was weird. But she basically, former pimp, and drug dealer who financed his first singles before he signed up with, oh, I can't remember the rapper, but that, her sacrifice for that him and her never letting it go. But Mama D is gorgeous. And I didn't realize just how pretty she was. Her face was beat, but I think I saw her when I went down to um, Blaze in Atlanta, Canning M's uh, restaurant after the shooting. And I I honestly think that was her. I didn't go up to her because I wasn't sure. And I was just down there and trying to get back before the charge on my electric car went down. And Carly Red was a little bit more sedate when she, when Jocelyn ran up on her because Jocelyn, Carly Red was focused, y'all. She knew she needed she knew at the time she wanted to get in with Stevie J and she wasn't gonna let his side piece at the time, Jocelyn, get in the way of that. And it's so weird how Carly Red is still really good friends with Mimi, who was in a long-term relationship she thought was Stevie J. And now um the queen of um dance hall who was nominated for a Grammy, but lost it to some white boys in Virginia. Anyways, they all are still friends, but watching the story arc of Carly red kissing Benzino with his non neck was absolutely disgusting with some pornographic horror shit. Um, there was, Scrappy's mama talking about going to the emergency room um, and and Trick Daddy saying how Carly Red is not his type and he wouldn't hit her with a car. We know he like his women darker like his uh, 
ex, not even his ex-wife. They're extreme. I don't even think they got divorced yet. Joy, long hair, lashes, that's more his type. Um, but they are so entwined, even to the fact that now that her joy trick daddies and strange wife's credit score is in the single digits, but they still won't get divorced. I don't get it. And then <laughs> the how they basically shade each other, how you don't trust a woman with a badass wig. I think Erica said that. But how looking at all of them, and it's been like 12 years since the premiere of this show, and how little Mimi Faust has changed, how Carly Red, she's still gorgeous. Um, even Erica, a lot of the women on this show, I think, I don't know if they work out, they got a great plastic surgeon and they drink a lot of water. It's probably a combination of it all, but they still look fantastic. And again, it is so funny watching them react to themselves and how turned up and crazy it was. Um, even what do they call the creep squad? They haven't changed that much from New York where it all began. I can't y'all. I thought black don't crack sometimes high yellow ages, not so bad, but the creep squad don't look that bad in their old age. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Dear Andy Cohen and the other producers of the Real Housewife of Atlanta series, please stop playing in our face. What is going on? Why y'all playing in our faces with this nonsense? I'm five episodes in and I stayed up to watch this mess and I had to watch it again to just come up with just how nonsensical the whole episode was. We get down, I was excited to see Kenya perform at the classic because, just because, because I knew she was gonna show out and I was excited to see what Moniadak came up for. And then she ends up getting sick. Sounds like she gets the flu, gets discharged within a few hours. The most non-essential group of girls come up with some pack for only positive vibes to only have more mess being stirred up because of what they perceive, again, what Candace didn't do or should have done in their opinion. I call it nonsensical because it got on my damn nerves. I was really, really just annoyed by the whole hurt. She didn't blow up until the end. And then we got to wait a whole other week to find out why she turned up so fast. And at the center of it is supposed to be Marlo Hampton. I'm just tired of her because she's like Tommy. I don't know what she from Martin. She's worse than Tommy from Martin because she's not funny. We knew of, I don't know what her wig line is doing. I think Portia's hair care line um, is probably doing better and probably is worth more and work better. She got Miss Spell clothing loan line. 
atelier, whatever it is, not classy or déclassé is what it should be called. So I am just kind of over it. I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And it makes me mad that I waste so much time in this watching it, but I can't look away because I'm completely hooked and I'm going to have to watch to see if there's another part of the Vanderpump Rules reunion because they white folks are tripping and they just is even more ratchet than these girls. It just seems that this group of women this season are not linked up and it is obvious that the story arcs are all a bit more contrived and I just and I'm 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 losing I'm starting to lose interest and I'm only five episodes in but I still don't appreciate them playing in my face because this is BS. And that's it for this episode of Ten Fro is reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening. more at Pandora Jewelry, where you'll find beautiful hand-finished pieces perfect for creating stacks of self-expression. Collect charms, stack bracelets, and layer necklaces to design a look that's uniquely you. Start with the piece you love, then stack and style it your way and show the world something about you. Shop Pandora Jewelry now. Shop Pandora Jewelry at St. John Town Center, Jacksonville.